our Old Testament reading this morning, as last week comes from Leviticus. Uh, this week, two chapters later, in 26, the opening five verses, I invite you once again to listen for a word from the Lord, as it is there written, you shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear, for, rear up for yourselves. You shall, nor shall you, set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. In our New Testament reading, again, as it did last week, comes this week from the book of Acts. In the 17th chapter this week, beginning at verse 22 and continuing through verse 31, again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. Though, indeed, he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The Apostle Paul 
He arrives at the center of the Roman Empire and there in the capital city he makes his way eventually to the Areopagus, which in Greek means the hill of Ares, after the Greek god of war. It was there, historians and archaeologists tell us, that there once stood a meeting place, or a forum, where a civil court of sorts heard arguments and moderated debates on a variety of political, educational, social, and religious topics of interest in the day. And Paul was there after having spent quite some time teaching in the synagogues about the city and preaching in many public places. It's likely that his philosophical reasoning and his oratory skills had been noticed by enough of the right people that he was invited to a hearing in front of this forum that met on this hill a panel also known as the Areopagus. And there on that spot, Paul praised them, his Roman friends, for their intelligence, for their wisdom, for their curiosity. He told them how keen their theological insight was, and he applauded their humility for admitting the possibility of the existence of a God in the pantheon whom they had not yet come to know. And then he proceeds to set them straight by introducing them to this very God. Now that's a, a powerful strategy for apologetics. Now apologetics, that's a word that we don't hear that much in our own tradition. In fact, a few weeks ago, as Rhonda was doing one of the many online courses that are available to all of you who are participating in our faith life experiment, she asked me if I had ever taken a class on this subject in seminary, to which I somewhat sheepishly had to admit that no, I had not, because the seminary that I went to did not offer such a course. Uh, too evangelistic, I suppose. Now, apologetics and evangelism, they're two terms that have come over time to have taken on some connotations that are viewed negatively by a growing number of people, mostly outside, but sometimes also within the church. But Paul is a stellar example of one who excelled at both, and whom many, though certainly not all, would consider to have a decent reputation as an honest witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, evangelism is really nothing more than, than witnessing. It involves words quite often, but it can be done through deeds alone. It is the embodiment of Jesus-like behavior and speech, constantly looking outward and looking upward, caring for the other and ascribing credit and praise to the Father. Apologetics is, some would say, about defending faith. I think perhaps a better way of phrasing that would be to say speaking the truth about the one who is the truth. He's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Now, what's so hard about apologetics? 
Well, just that. That message. Ever since that message was first preached, it's rubbed people the wrong way. When Paul shares it with the citizens of Rome at the Areopagus and elsewhere throughout his travels there, he's going to be harping on this reality. And though they've said that they are open to the possibility that there might be some other God out there, many in Rome are not ready to accept that such a God as this could actually take on flesh, could dwell among men, could even allow himself to be sacrificed for the sake of his subjects. No, that's not how their gods worked. They were looking for another god that resembled the gods that they had already known, the gods that they had already idolized by constructing images of throughout their public and private places. What Paul knew and what we know is that our God is at once a God of the universal and a God of the individual. Not only did he choose to create the cosmos and to place all things therein, but he has continued to tend to that good creation right down to the very least of us. Now I'm going to let you in on a bit of a secret here, if you promise not to tell. Well, I did not author those words because a funny thing happened on my way to the forum along with Paul in Acts 17. I wrote those words, yes, but I know that I did not author them, so I'm going to repeat them for you. What Paul knew and what we know is that our God is at once a God of the universal and a God of the individual. Not only did he choose to create the cosmos and to place all things therein, but he has continued to tend to that good creation right down to the very least of us. Now every week, as I am working to prepare a sermon, okay, well, most every week, while I am working to prepare a sermon, I make it a point to pray over my work, to pray that through the process uh, I would be given the words to say, that I would speak to the people of God that word from God which He would want them to hear in this place and in this time. And I trust in the miracle of His providence that somehow, some way, that prayer is realized in part or in whole, week in and week out. But this word, this message, I am even more confident in the reminder that that unknown God of which Paul spoke, the God of the Big Bang, the God described beginning in the book of Genesis, this God of Bethlehem, this God of Calvary, this God of Emmaus, this God of Pentecost, and of the church for 2,000 years, this God is the God whom we know and of whom we speak and who continues to speak to us just as he has this very week. I know this to be true. And he has chosen this place and this time to remind me and you too that this is true. For I surely know that I didn't write this reminder in this week's sermon. To my amazement, it flowed 
without, though with no intent or effort on my part, so he must think it's important. And it is. I agree. It's important, Lord. Truly, it's the very same word that followers of Jesus have been telling the world for generation after generation. Very, very many things about our world and about our practice and our witness to this reality have changed for better or for worse. But this fact remains, testifying to the uniqueness and the sovereignty of our God, the God of all gods. That is the calling to which we have all joyfully been called. This is the supreme purpose and the supreme privilege of this life. Like Paul, we realize not everyone is on board with this, then or now. And like Paul, we realize that it's rarely easy or free of obstacles or consequences. But also like Paul, we understand that the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior was similarly not easy, nor free of obstacles or consequences. So in response, we are called not simply to imitate Christ to the extent that that's possible, but to put on Christ, as Paul also would write to the Romans, in whatever public or private forums we find ourselves in, it's incumbent upon us to be testifying by both our words and our deeds, the truth that we are all God's creation, God's offspring, God's children. As his children, we are all under the same divine authority, and our obedience to that knowledge speaks volumes to those who are not yet ready to affirm this truth. So you see, understood in this fashion, apologetics and evangelism aren't so terrible after all. They can be, and I would argue they should be, part and parcel of our Christian life. But in order to do justice to these elements of our call, before we, like Paul, can clearly articulate what Christians believe about Christ, we first have to know what it is that we believe about Christ. Now that's probably pretty self-evident, but it is still of the utmost importance. Just because you grew up in a church, just because you participated in the life of a congregation, that doesn't necessarily mean that you absorbed through divine osmosis a clear understanding of who Christ is and the relationship that he has with us and as a part of the Trinity. So I pray that each one of us would continue to immerse ourselves in the Word of God, seeking therein the truth of Christ as he has revealed it to us, to be open and expectant even of a word from the Holy Spirit, to encourage, to correct, to strengthen us to be faithful witnesses as we travel physically or virtually into all the forums that this life presents us, speaking and living obediently and gratefully as children of the Father, the way of Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Man, who is the truth now and forever.
And for that, we may truly say thanks be to God and amen.